Hello everybody, welcome to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Saturday, the 11th of April, 2009. Gun Rights Radio Network has the best pro-Second Amendment, pro-gun rights podcast available on the net. Available on the net. Available on the net. Available on the net. The podcasts are absolutely free, 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 when subscribing using iTunes or Zoom Marketplace. Or if you want, you can just listen from the website. Make sure you visit gunrightsradio.com to subscribe. Podcasting freedom. 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 One episode at a time. Everybody, welcome back. Today on on the show, I'm going to talk a little bit about the 2020 special entitled "If I Only Had a Gun." Uh, last week on the forums, I'd put up a post uh, letting everybody know that this thing was uh, was going to be out. Hopefully, uh, some of you guys were able to watch this. I know a lot of times it's hard for us in the pro rights community and the Second Amendment community to watch these programs. Let me tell you, I was surprised, and I guess I probably shouldn't have been, but I was surprised at how anti-gun this special was. It was pretty much an hour-long propaganda special uh, against gun ownership. And the bottom line of the message was, again, the same stuff is, even if you have a gun, you're not going to be able to protect yourself it's going to be ineffective, and you're probably going to end up shooting an innocent bystander. You would have been better off if you'd have just run away. That, in essence, was their show. They did not have one person interviewed in an actual segment that gave our side of of the uh, of the issue. Now they did have in the and in, 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 for instance, in the first minute of the show. They, if, if that's all you watched, you would say, well, there's no point in me getting a gun. They didn't, they didn't really give interview time to the Brady Center, they, and, and, but then they also didn't give any interview time, like I said before, to anybody from our side. What they did in the bumper, so in the stuff leading up to a segment or, or coming when they say, well, we'll come back, they showed them the little bumpers. They played an interview from a guy from the Brady Center named Jonathan Lowy, where he makes the old uh, tainted peanut butter thing. Um, actually, I'm, I just got done listening to Eric Shell last night, and he talks a little bit about that. So if you go over to Eric Shell show at Handgun Podcast, he makes reference to that. Poor guy's got a cold. Hopefully he gets over that pretty soon. Hang in there, Eric. You'll get better. It'll be over quick. Uh, but anyway, uh, they also did the representative... Um, from Iowa, whose name was Steve King. And he talked basically about when law-abiding citizens have firearms and use them responsibly, it does make us safer. And during his segment when he was speaking, 
the image that was overlaid when he talked about using your Second Amendment rights was uh, one was shot of a boy, a young boy, probably, I don't know, eight, nine years old, shooting a full auto Uzi. The other was of a young woman or probably a teenage girl. It, it, it goes off her pretty quick. But again, she's shooting a full auto weapon. It, believe me, they know what they're doing when they're laying that image over what he's saying. And what, what that underlying message is, if you give people their Second Amendment rights, they're just going to be out there blasting off full autos constantly. Also in the first minute, they talked about the gun hole loophole. They talked about how um, 130,000 people are killed by guns over the last 10 years. Well, they, they don't ever qualify what that means, how many were by suicide, how many were justifiable homicides, how many were armed citizen responses, how many were uh, criminals, so gang-on-gang gang stuff, you know, drug, drug wars, that type of thing. They never said any of that. Also, they talked about 9 million people uh, have and they didn't. I can't remember what the what the timeline they gave, but I think they were saying this year alone that there were nine million people that applied for getting to get uh, a new firearm. And again, they're probably getting the figures from the uh, the instant background check. What they didn't say was how many of those were actual sales, how many of those were just people that applied. They didn't. They also didn't say any mention of. You know, so many people were denied. They didn't say anything like that. So all they did was was talk about kind of the application of that background check, I guess. But let's jump in and let's talk about the show and kind of what they did. Uh, and you have to remember when you're watching this type of show or this type of program that that what they don't say is just as important as what they do say. And many times it's actually more important. And, and so in some of those examples where they just leave that information out where I, that I just gave, what they're saying on the surface and just by the bare skin of their teeth is true. But there's a lot of qualifying things that they're not telling you to make that statement true. Now, with, with the training that they gave the kids to be in the... Um, and you guys are probably going to hear some papers rattling and stuff when I look around in my notes. But in the training that they gave the people... They tried to make it seem like, oh, we had, you know, people who had never really done anything, and then we had, you know, these people that were experts, which, which is kind of bull. I mean, they didn't really, all those people on there, probably, the, the guy that was the expert, looks like maybe he just said, yeah, I go to the range and I shoot a lot, you know, so he may shoot a lot of guns, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's had any force-on-force -force training um, and they kind of make, they kind of imply that maybe he had. So they're kind of trying to say, well, this guy's had, you know, some of the same training probably that this police officer has had. Um, and that's just not true. But of all the students that they, that they had, pretty much all of them, none of them really made it out alive. All of them would have been killed. Of the two that actually connected with the shooter, both of them I, were girls. And the first girl, who uh, was a, a young lady, she was a blonde girl, she actually shot the guy in the leg. And the last girl, who was a uh, dark-haired girl, a brunette, grazed him and got him in the shoulder. And of course what they did, they didn't really say, oh, okay, you, you connected with a target, 
you engaged the shooter, the shooter was focused on you, and this allowed everybody else to get out. Um, what they focused on was, and also with the hits, they were, and, and the girl that hit the guy in the leg, she hit him in his, I believe it was in his right leg, pretty much dead center. So there would have been a good choice that she would have, uh, if that bullet had gone straight in, she could have cracked his femur, which would have put that guy down, or she could have hit an artery, which would have had him bleed out probably in a couple of minutes. But they didn't mention that. What they said is, oh, her shot you know, was nowhere near the head. But she still engaged the target, and she made she shot him. The last girl that they showed, she grazed him in his, I believe it was his, I think it was his left shoulder. And they pretty much totally discounted her thing. And they said, well, that was a grazing wound, and you wouldn't have incapacitated anybody. But again, what they didn't do is they didn't say that while they were going at it, while they were shooting back and forth, he was focused on her. He wasn't focused on the other people that were leaving and exiting the building and got out. So you could say, okay, the teacher got shot you know, because it, it opens up. The uh, shooter comes in, bang, bang, shoots the, uh, the professor or the lecturer and then starts firing into the crowd supposedly but everybody runs but then once that shooter pops out that guy is focused on on the shooter uh, the guy is focused on uh, the armed resistance let's say or the armed citizen and he doesn't focus and shoot randomly other people and of course they never bring that up they never once say well because this guy is engaged with an with an armed citizen he's not shooting other people. He doesn't have time now to go around and randomly shoot. And of course what they said was that the uh, in one, one instance they were talking about that the guy wasn't able to get his gun out um, and, and that this would maybe give the shooter just one more weapon. Well, most of the time when these shooters come into a school or a church or whatever, they've got more ammo than they can, than they can use. And most of them die with ammo on them. So, you know, the point of saying, oh, it's going to give him one more gun. Well, he can only shoot one gun at a time. Well, I guess you could shoot, you know, uh, two handguns from both hands, but you're not going to hit anything. Um, but you can really only, you know, do sort of one thing at a time, especially if it's a long gun. I'm kind of getting a little bit off track. Also, if, if we look at the situation that they put these people in, many of them, when they were training them, they were having them stand up and they were, you know, uh, doing a classic stance, shooting at a target that was maybe, what, six, seven yards away, a paper target with those paint, uh, the paint bullets. You know, again, and when they were showing them how to do it, they were having them stand up. And then later in the show, they comment, well, these guys never took any cover. They stood right up. Well, that's what they had just spent probably an hour doing was standing up, staying still and shooting. They didn't train them. You know, they probably mentioned to them, well, try and get to cover. But when they're shooting, they're not having him shoot from a position of cover. They didn't have those kids shoot and move. They didn't do any of that stuff. So it was, in my opinion, they basically set them up to, to fail. Because if you, when you look at all the interviews and if you talk to any of the Special Forces guys, they all say you're going you're gonna to fall back on, on the training that you've had. And that's what, when you watch those kids, that's pretty much what they did. For the most part, 
they went right back into that training that they had just received, which was stand still, bring the gun up, and fire. Um, so, you know, to say that to fault them for not taking cover was kind of, you know, again, it, it's they're not telling you or giving you enough of the background. Um, and the average person isn't going to think about that. The average person sitting in their on their couch or in their easy chair watching the show is going to say, well, yeah, well, they had, you know, they had all this training. Another thing they talked about was that, you know, these people were, had gotten more training than, than the average person who gets a firearm or gets a concealed carry permit. And again, that's a very misleading statement. The majority of people that get a concealed carry permit and actually do carry get some training or you think about it constantly you think about your positioning and you know when you go into a room you're looking around your situational awareness you know and another thing i found interesting too was they had these kids basically in really long t-shirts that are going to hamper any kind of getting a draw uh, any type of access to the weapon in a draw they were also wearing a helmet they were also wearing uh, gloves kind of thick gloves so they're going to have a lot of things going against them that a regular armed citizen wouldn't. Also, did you notice every one of those, the kids or the students that was going to be the defender or the armed citizen was sitting pretty much in the front and in the middle. If that had been me in that classroom, I would have said, okay, well, I want to sit, try and sit, you know, maybe up on that upper level toward the end next to an exit to where I can get out if something were to happen. Because that's how many of us do when we go to a restaurant, when we go to the movie theater, when we go um, to church, things like that. You don't sit right in the middle and down near the front. When we go to church or when we go to, uh, again, like the movie or a restaurant, I sit where I can watch the door. If there's a couple entrances, you know, you, you try and, and do and sit and watch the one to where you can see where the most people are coming in. You note where the exits are. You sit in a manner to where that if you need to access your firearm, you're going to be able to do it. Uh, and this these were options, of course, that they didn't give those kids. They, I'm sure they told them, you sit here, just go in, make sure you sit in the front because, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so a lot of that stuff was, again, just kind of pure setup. And, and, you know, another thing they talked about, too, with this training is that, oh, the police have to train and, and, and overcome the fact that their body is going to betray you. Uh, they talked a lot about that unless you have all this training, you know, you're, you're, you're going to lose your gross, uh, your uh, fine motor skills. And it's, but they didn't even say that. Uh, but that's something that if you're in kind of in, in, if you're listening to this show, if you're in the, um, Second Amendment community or part of the gun culture and you've opted to carry, these are things that you understand and, and know about. Also, they talked about, uh, let's see, what else do I have here? The dresses and the gloves, okay, how they did stuff. Um, I think I talked about how they discounted any type of hit that they got on, on the police officer, the firearms instructor. One thing that I noticed was very interesting is they did not have a student be a shooter. They had the firearms instructor be a shooter. Now, if you wanted to do something that's going to mimic more of a real-world thing, 
I think that that's what they should have done. Uh, because when that guy comes in, when the, when the shooter comes in, who's the, uh, who's the firearms instructor, when that guy comes in, he, number one, he knows that somebody in there is armed. He, I'm sure, knows that that person is going to be sitting in the front row. He knows that that person is going to be sitting in the middle of the front row. So when he goes in, he's looking for somebody to engage. He's not going in with the mindset that a lot of these shooters in these situations go in saying, I've got fish in a barrel. Nobody's going to resist me. Plus the fact this guy is like an um, emergency response guy or he's a firearms instructor, so he just he eats and breathes this stuff pretty much on a daily basis. So for him to go in there, he may have a little bit of the juices flowing. He may have some of that adrenaline going, but guess what? He's done that all the time, so he's used to that. So I, I think, again, it was very disingenuous of them to you know have that guy go in and be the shooter. If you wanted to do something that had a little bit more realism to it, have one of the students go in. Because, I mean, it, let's think about it. We're all, we're predators. We've got, you know, forward binocular vision. And what we are attracted to, and what all predators are attracted to, is movement. A lot of those students, the armed, the armed person, stood up and, and were taking aim on this guy. Some of them moved a little bit. Uh, but in general, they got into that firing stance. A normal, probably, person would have been watching the uh, the movement of the other people going and because they're standing still it maybe takes them a little bit of time to register that and then they can fire back so again you know to have a guy that's that highly trained going and be the shooter i i just thought you know it was just disingenuous what else here a lot of times in those situations if you look at the church shootings if you look at, at school shootings where somebody offers armed resistance it ends the conflict. That guy runs away or shoots himself um, or surrenders. So this guy wasn't doing that. He was just, you know, again, because he was trained, he was going to, and they were making the point, this, this guy isn't going to go down uh, and he's not going to stop, you know, until it, it's sort of over. I think I talked a little bit, I don't know if I talked a little bit about the, the last girl that did that. She was able to get out, engaged him, fired her weapon. Actually, I think she grazed him in the shoulder, and they basically discounted her shoulder graze. But then when they counted up how many times she got hit, they said she got hit six times. Well, two of those on her would have been, um, they were on her shirt, and she was sort of pulling her shirt up, so that when she pulled her shirt up and around, it looked like it would have hit her, you know, somewhere maybe in the abdomen. Uh, but the reality of those would have both also been grazing wounds or would have gone through the shirt without even hitting her um, because when she she also pulled up her shirt a little bit and you could see a couple of welts on, you know on her stomach but you didn't see those one from the side so they were even disingenuous with that they they said she got hit six times well she really would have only gotten hit four and, and I know that's you know four would be enough obviously but it's it's, it's not it's what they're not telling you they didn't bother to tell you oh his you know he got to this you know highly trained SWAT guy he missed two times as well. It's just a, it's real frustrating to watch this show. I really had to force myself to get through it. Um, they also talked about 
with that Diane Sawyer thing about not fighting back, you know, you're they they talked about oh, there's shootings in the mall and the nursing home and churches, and they said the ones that survived in Virginia Tech were the ones that ran away. Then they show a clip of this guy named Bittenbinder or something like that, and it looks like it's from the 1980s and some of the stuff that he's talking about. So they're probably using 20 almost at this point, you know, almost 30 year old data. You know, they they give you the advice of, oh, play dead and hide. And, you know, not everybody can be a Rambo. And what I found most telling was they made this, and this is a direct quote, they made the statement that a cell phone is a valuable weapon for saving the lives of those around you. So now they're classifying the cell phone. That's going to be your weapon. That's what's going to save you. Well, all that cell phone is going to do is let them know where to come and pick up your body. Or the body of the other people if you're hiding, you know, under the desk and maybe the guy, you know, isn't going to see you. If you're lucky, he won't. Um, Let me see. Um, Getting back to a couple of their other segments. They said that pretty much every third house has a gun. And this is, again, another quote. If you think your house is safe, what about your neighbor? So... Then they went and they showed little kids uh, and, and doing this, you know, just for shock value. Whoopsie there. Let's see. That was the old wife calling me saying, get back to work. But I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep doing the show. Um, what they, they did some stuff that I consider to be quite reprehensible. They interviewed and, and showed kids that had actually shot and killed their friends because they were playing around with guns. Um, and in one segment, they show a, a young boy, and at the time, he was about 11 years old when he had shot and killed his friend. He ended up having to go to some type of a boy's home or a play, uh, what we would call, or what we used to call in the probation business, a residential placement or residential treatment center. Uh, his father actually ended up going to jail and doing some time. What they talked about, though, too, and the thing that I found really reprehensible is they said something like you know it's been a nightmare for this kid and his family but then the reporter actually says to this kid who's maybe probably like 13 or 14 now and who has is so messed up he says to the kid you know it's been a nightmare for the other family too and the kid's like yeah you know, but I just thought, really, you're, you're really going to do that? You're going to stay that, you scumbag? And that's that David Muir. Just reprehensible. And, of course, they, the kid has, has been basically so programmed by these treatments that because I was familiar with that stuff, and I, that's the field I used to work in was in juvenile probation, he's just regurgitating stuff that he's hearing. And this kid I know feels bad. For him to have to be in that treatment center, I don't think it's going to do anybody any good for him to be in there. Uh, it's going to end up in the long run doing more harm than good because the kid is going to be—he's going to be a basket case when he comes out. Um, but anyway, they asked the kid too, you know, do you have a message for the president because he was in some marching band or something? And the kid was like, yeah, I, you know, I'd like to have you know mandatory gun locks to you know keep kids safe. Um, and then continuing the kid thing, they went to the cub reporter, the little kid from, uh, 
what was it like Pookie or something like that Florida someplace down there and they showed this place and man it looked like a real crap hole it was just it, it looked like it was just overrun by poverty and gangs and you know things were just out of control there and you know what I find interesting about this stuff is when they kind of pick these cub reporters they're never from you know like Kennesaw Georgia they're never from, you know, like a real nice, safe community. One of the things they said that this town was had a population of about 6,000. And then they, but it, it looks like it's just such a, just a high crime area. And they talked about how that the majority of kids all knew somebody who had been shot. But, you know, in a little teeny town like that, that is real super high crime, you're, you know, the odds of that go up. The one thing that, you know, I, I liked about what the kid did, and I actually thought the kid had more journalistic integrity than just about anybody else. He actually went to different, he went to different sources. He went to guys on the street, and he went to the police, which is something that, and, and tried to get, not necessarily both sides, but, and he also interviewed his friend and stuff that his dad had gotten shot. And, Let's kind of look at that a little bit. When when he was talking to his little friend there, they said that the dad had been killed. But you'll notice what they didn't tell you was they didn't tell you, well, why did the dad get killed? What was the circumstances surrounding that? When uh, the little kid goes to the uh, police and says, well, hey, you know, what kind of gun did he get shot with? And the cop tells him, well, it's a shotgun. And then he says, hey, we know, we, we're pretty sure we know who did it but nobody will testify to it in court. And then it shows the kid going back and talking to the, you know, like all the thug life on the street, and he's asking them, well, you know, when when you got shot at, did you tell the police? No. When you got shot out, did you call the police? No. Well, when you got shot out, did you? No. Uh, and at the end of the segment, you know, the kid says, they said, well, what, you know, message do you have for President Obama? And I know that they were wanting that kid to say, you know, can you come in here and get rid of all these guns? But what the kid says is, and this is, again would be uh, a direct quote. He asked, what can you do to help out Pookie? Or, like again, I, I can't remember what the name of the town was. But what he didn't say and what he didn't ask was, what can you do to take away all these guns? And you know that that's what they wanted to do, but they didn't, you know, the, the kid didn't say that, so, and they probably couldn't get him to say that. So, um, then they did the next segment, which was they had the guy, and again, they're going for that emotional appeal. They're not just having a producer go in. They find a guy who had a sister who was killed in Virginia Tech. So again, they're, they're engineering this stuff. They're given somebody with an agenda. They're given somebody who has a, a vested interest in, in presenting an anti-gun side. And of course, they talk about the gun show loophole. Well, it goes about as, as, can, be inspect, as, as, as can be expected. And what they try and do... But they, they're never really successful, but they try to infer that this guy is going in and he is getting stuff without having background checks. And they're trying to infer that it, he's almost getting it from dealers because they show all these dealer t tables and stuff. But what he does, and at the very end of it, 
they um, they do a thing where they have an ATF guy, and he says these were all private sales. There was nothing illegal in the sale. There was nothing illegal in what uh, what the kid did. What I think, and I, I can't remember his name. I think it was Jamar or something like that. Um, now, also, what they did in that little segment was they they talked about how only one person asked them for ID. But again, this was a private a person who was selling it privately. This wasn't a dealer. And when the guy said, when the kid said, "Well, I don't have my ID with me." He said that the guy said, "Well, give me a hundred bucks more, and I'll let you, I'll let you go away with it." But you wonder if didn't maybe the kid said, "Hey, if what if I just give you an extra hundred? Would you let me get the gun without showing you my ID because I don't have it with me? I forgot it." So again, a lot of this stuff is just real disingenuous. Um, what they also did too is they said that they called the NRA for comment, but the NRA didn't comment back. Um, they also said. They called one of the, the state senator, um, which I think it may have been Virginia where they were at, and they said that the senator didn't return their call. But they don't tell you, well, did we call him at 3.30 in the afternoon on a Friday, or did we call him Monday at 7 in the morning? And how long did we wait? Did we only wait one hour? Did we wait a day? Did we wait a week to hear back from him? Were we persistent? They didn't. So I think they only called him once, probably left a message, and then... They didn't want the senator to call back. They wanted him, they wanted to be able to say, well, we didn't get a comment. They also, there's a, there's a section in that where, again, it's just over and over they're going for the emotion of it because during that section they show a bunch of stuff of of people that are crying um, and they're showing, and, and they're not showing, they want you to think of them as kids, but remember all the people that they showed were all adults. They're all over 18, but again, they, they want you to think of Probably anybody under 30 is being a child. One one thing is when the kid is holding the Glock and he says, well, this is the type of gun that... And he almost slips and says, this is the gun that killed my sister. But he, what he says is, this is the type of gun that, that killed my sister. But then I wonder with that stuff is, does does that kid drink? And does he have that same attitude toward alcohol? You know, a lot of these people that are anti-gun also drink but then they don't really you know if you said well we're going to take away booze we're going to take away your beer and your you know your jack daniels whiskey and uh, i can't remember what the gunfighter said on their cast there was it wild turkey we're going to take your wild turkey away uh, justin um but uh, had they had they presented something like that to that kid and say well you know a lot of people are, are killed through drunk driving. So we're going to not only take away all alcohol, we're also going to take away cars. And you're just going to have to either take a bus or walk or get a bicycle. Well, then that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? But and again, they don't they don't ever present that side or say, well, you know, here's kind of the other view. You know, what you really should have taken away from that segment was what the ATF guy said. And he said everything and he said it kind of in a disapproving manner, but Basically, what he said was that all the sales were all private sales and nothing, nobody had done anything uh, that was illegal. Um, let's see. They talk a little bit about how that, you know, they, they tried out the scenario of a guy hears a sound and he shoots his, kills his wife. They talk about uh, how you're legally responsible for every bullet that comes out. But guess what? In the firearms community, in the Second Amendment community, 
That's what we talk about all the time, is that you're responsible. We talk about all the time you need to get training. At the end of the show, they said something that, when she said it, when Diane Sawyer said it, I couldn't believe it. She said that they could not find one reliable study that showed the positive effects of firearms in the hands of law-abiding citizens. And I don't know if she said in the hands of law-abiding citizens. I just threw that part in. But basically, that's what she was saying, was that there wasn't one. They were they found them, but they were contradictory. And what she meant was is they found some, but they, they weren't slanted enough for their anti-gun view for them to use. And I I just couldn't believe that they would make that statement. She actually said, you know, if you're looking for this these type of studies, keep searching because we couldn't find one. And I just thought, you are kidding. That's just, that is ridiculous. And then the other guy that David Moore, Muir says, you know, this, the uh, they referred to the, the CDC study that said in 10 years, you know, 60,000 kids and young people are going to be, you know, killed with through gun violence. Well, again, they don't qualify any of that. And over a 10-year period, they don't say what young people mean. So is young people somebody who is 18 or how in some studies they considered people who are 24 years old to be children? So again, another very disingenuous statement. And also I find it interesting that they could use that statistic from CDC, but then they don't use the other statistic from CDC that says that gun control laws don't reduce crime. It's a very, very frustrating show to watch. But I do think that you guys should, if you have it recorded or if you know somebody that has it, you should watch it. Or if I'm sure it'll be up on YouTube eventually. As hard as it is to sit through that stuff, you should watch it because that's going to give you your ability to counter some of these arguments. Every one of those things that they said is easily countered. The information is easily found. Uh, but again, their agenda was to have a uh, anti-gun slant. They want, they want you to come away with that thinking, it's not going to do me any good to get a gun because even if I have one, I'm not going to have the training to uh, to defend myself because I'm not a police officer and I can't get the special, you know, law enforcement ninja training that those guys get. Uh, and, and they never once interviewed or called somebody like Clint Smith, like Tom Gresham, like Michael Bain. They never contacted somebody like Rob Pincus all the other good shooters, or Masada, well, even our very own Masad Ayub. Why wouldn't you contact that guy? Why wouldn't you contact Masad and say, here's somebody who's an expert, here's somebody who can at least answer that stuff? And they didn't. They just didn't do it because that wasn't part of their agenda. And I know I'm, I'm repeating this stuff over and over, but it just, it just really gets to me that this type of stuff goes on uh, and is actually given some form of, of credibility. You know, another thing that they never once mentioned and that any of those people that I just mentioned, the experts sort of on our side, would say is you've got to teach these people and people need to know the four gun rules, uh, the four safety rules. And they never once mentioned that in the show. They never said, you know, all weapons or treat all firearms as if they were always loaded. And I have a, you know, a little issue with that. The, the rule that I've taught my 
my wife and, and my kid is that all guns are always loaded. And you can say, well, you're getting caught up in the semantics of it. But if you say treat a gun as if it is loaded, you're giving yourself an out saying that, well, it's probably, it's probably not loaded. But if you say all guns are always loaded, then the other rules that you're going to follow are going to fall right into place. Never point the weapon at something you don't want to shoot or destroy so that muzzle doesn't, doesn't cross anything you're not willing to shoot. Keep your finger off the trigger until you are on target. Also, be aware of your target and the background behind that target. Now, had any of those kids that had um, accidentally shot their friends, had they been doing that, then none of that stuff would have happened. Number one, they would have, they would have treated that gun as if it was loaded and they wouldn't have touched it. And if they do touch it, then if they, they follow rule number two, don't point that muzzle at something you're not willing to shoot. Um, you know, that also another thing about the show that kind of popped in my head, when they had the, the kids come in to, to move the garage, to pack up the garage, and they planted the guns, the one part that really stood out to me was when they had the producer, who is, you know, supposedly another guy that's going to go in there to help them move. So he's, you know, he's another student. He prompts them and gets them to do stuff. And they're talking about, oh, it's peer pressure. And the one thing he... He actually picks up the gun and and you know points it toward the floor and pulls the trigger a bunch of times and then he gives it to the other guy and and he pulls because yeah, yeah those are blanks they're not going to do anything so again they it, it's just so much of a setup with some of this stuff I I just really wish they would have done things like that and again like going back to the training the amount of training if you could call it that that they gave those kids. It would be like giving, putting me into a Formula One race car and having me drive it around the track at 25 miles per hour and then say, okay, now you're going to be in the, uh, in the Indy 500 and you're going you're gonna to have to drive this car at 200 miles an hour. You're going to have to figure out how to brake it. Don't crash it. And then they're going to be surprised when I crash that thing into the wall. I guess the, the point of my show today is I, I just wanted to discount some of this stuff and make you guys aware. If you have friends, I'm sure some of you are going to run into people that have watched this show and they're going to know that you're the gun guy or the gun gal. And they're going to challenge you on some of this stuff. They're going to throw up some of those figures. So do a little bit of homework uh, before you sort of go out into the community this next week or go back to work. Have some of that information ready. When they say, "Well, they said on TV that you know you're more, you're not going to be able to do anything," or those kids didn't take cover, have some answers ready for them, you know, and and say, "Well, you know, here's what they didn't say, or here's what they didn't tell you, or here's the studies, here's the study from John Lott. How could they not? How could they not pull that up? Oh my gosh, that's just incredible to me." Uh, okay, well, I'll go ahead and get off that. Um, we'll do a little bit of housekeeping. If you would like to contact me, and I would love to hear from you, you can send me an email at firearmscafe at gmail.com, or you can pop over to the forums and at uh, Gun Rights Radio. Uh, let's see, it was gunrightsradio.com, and you can go over to the Firearms Cafe section and leave me a comment. 
And I can't remember if I mentioned it before, but I actually, there's already a, a, a thread over there or a topic over there that I had entitled 2020 uh, show for next Friday because I had done it last week. Um, some of the guys that had uh, posted on there are um, Chris had posted, Ender had posted, uh, my buddy there, Eric Shelton, posted over there. He's with the Handgun Podcast. Also, looks like Bart11 had done a thing that John Stossel from 2020 had done a while back. Uh, he's got a, a YouTube link over there, so you can just go over there and you can actually just click on it and watch the, the video. It's up there. Schwarby posted, Carl did, uh, Panhead Bill, Scyther. Um, all these guys make uh, really good comments, and a lot of the stuff that they commented on and put on there uh, after the show, because some of them had, had done after they had watched the show, a lot of those jived up with what I had had in my notes. So go over there and take a look. Um, if you have an opinion one way or another on there, go ahead and post on there. I'd love to uh, hear from you from there. Um, so that's kind of the commercial for the forums. Let me name off some of our other podcasts. And I've also got another thing. Let's see. We've got Mick McCart with um, Armed Citizen Podcast. There's, of course, Mine Firearms Cafe. The Gun Dudes, hosted by Carl, Stan, and Tom. Uh, Gunfighter Cast with Daniel and Justin. Um, there's the Gun Review Podcast. You know, Eric had done a, a really neat little thing where he kind of tells you how he does it. But even if you, like I've said before, if you want to do one and you want to talk um, about where the gun came from, and, and if you say, well, I don't really have that much knowledge about, you know, how this works or how that works on it, um, you know, tell the story about how you got it or, or when you bought it or why you wanted to. There's also uh, the Gun Rights Advocate podcast hosted by Mark Vandenberg. There is the Gun Rights Radio Network, which um, actually lately both Doc and Mark have been doing kind of a bi-weekly thing on that. So um, that's another kind of a good one to enjoy. Um, they talk about certain issues and stuff and they have a real good easy going back and forth stuff. So I enjoy that one too. Um, of course, there's Eric Shelton over at the Handgun Podcast and... Um, Eric always does a good show, very consistent, always makes really good points, always like listening to him. Sean Horton at Militant Marksman Podcast. Uh, also the Pro Arms team with the producer Gail and all the other guys over there. Uh, you got John and Terry, Masad, uh, Steve, Herman, Chris, and Mike. And we've got Doc Wesson with Gun Nation. Also, if I heard right on... Um, the latest Gun Rights Radio Network, it looks like that we may be getting Brother Ken coming back. So Ken Blanchard hopefully will be rejoining us uh, with the Urban Shooter podcast. Actually, uh, Ken is now back on the forum, so if you want to go over there and leave him a message. He also has his own forums, um, which he'll probably, I'm sure, go ahead and leave up and running. Um, I'm a member over there as well. Uh, that's the one thing that's kind of nice about forums is you can be members on several different forums and and uh, interact with all sorts of different people. I think I've covered everybody. If I haven't, um, I apologize. Uh, let's see, what else? I think that's going to maybe about do it for today. So today's show, if, if it sounds a little different or if it kind of bounces around a little more or 
if the format seems a little different, um, I'm not as probably focused as I normally am. I didn't do as much show prep as I normally would have done, so hopefully it didn't turn out too bad. But I did just want to come on and, and give my two cents on this 2020 thing and kind of debunk some of the stuff that they were saying. As always, stay safe and stay informed, and we will save a seat for you at our table here at the Firearms Cafe. Take care, guys. We here at the Firearms Cafe have our very first song request. Now, this is from Eric at the Handgun Podcast, and this goes out to Tom of the Gun Dudes with much love. Most of my life I felt alone As if who I really am could never be known Too lost in my head to ever see That most of the world feels like me But now my heart's become my God And I have opened up I can see I'm not alone I'm not alone I'm not alone In this
not alone. What the hell, bro? All music provided courtesy of Podsafe Music Network. Go to Podsafe Music Network for all your Podsafe music needs.